Amen. You can have a seat, whether you're at one of our physical locations or watching at our online campus, wherever you may be. Welcome home. My name is Daniel White. I get the honor and privilege of leading and serving our kids and student ministry teams uh, here at Northridge. And you're in week four of our series titled Marked by Blank. We're doing a series all about the fruit of the Spirit or characteristics of of the Spirit. And we didn't come up with this list all on our own. No, you can find it for yourself in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where the Apostle Paul is telling this church in Galatia how they should be remembered or how they should be known as followers of Jesus. And we are looking at this full list through the summer. And week one, we did an overview of uh, the series. And then week two was all about love. And then week three was all about joy. And this week is all about peace. And when I thought about peace, uh, when I came to mind and I was just processing what is peace, how would I come up with it, what came to my mind was a meal. You can see a kitchen table here behind me. It's not because I'm about to eat without you guys. Uh, But uh, I thought of a meal, and you may think, why? That's such a strange thing to come to your mind. Well, I was taught growing up, if anybody's ever frustrated or angry with you, take them out to dinner or provide a meal for them because as the food goes down, so does their level of anger with you. Uh, you may even write that down. I mean, you may not get anything else from this message, but if you take that home with you, I promise it'll serve you well. Shout out husbands. Um, and so just, just so as saying, that's what came to my mind. So with, with me, could you uh, go with me in your mind to your favorite family meal or, or big meal? Maybe it's Christmas or Thanksgiving. Maybe it's somebody's birthday. Maybe uh, it's another holiday that your family celebrates uh, where there's a lot of people gathered around a table. Or maybe it's just some other random celebration, whatever that big meal is. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's your community group. Just one of your favorite meals that you enjoy with several people. It could be four, it could be 40, whatever it is. And I want you to go there with me in your mind, uh, and I want you to picture what is the sounds that you hear? Whose voices uh, do you hear just echoing through your mind? And um, what smells are present? Like what's in the pots on the uh, buffet bar or what's in the pots um, on the table in front of you? Like what's cooking in the kitchen is what I'm trying to say. Uh, And so who's there? What smells? What's in the pots? Because if I put all these things together, this scene in my mind, I think of literally any um, family dinner with my, my grandmother's fried chicken. Her mac and cheese, those green beans with bacon grease, because I'm from Arkansas. Let's go. Who cares uh, about the heart attack? But, uh, but, I, but I think about all those things. That's what I think. And I can hear her voice just ringing in my ears. Hey, Daniel, can you pass that chicken? Hey, Daniel, can you pass those beans? Or hey, Daniel, can you pass that mac and cheese? And it's special to me because I'll never experience another one like that. It's special to me in my mind because last year she passed away, and that fried chicken won't be the same this year. Those green beans, they won't be cooked like they used to. And maybe for you, you struggled like coming up with that scene in your mind because the past year we've had, or it's been so long since you've had a meal like this where you got to sit down with a lot of people that you love and cherish, and you don't remember what that's like, or those people are, are missing in your mind or at the table. And, and that's okay because the biblical idea of peace that we're going to discover this morning is one that is only fully experienced when you have it for yourself and then pass it along, like a dish 
at family dinner, before I pass that fried chicken, you better believe I'm taking one for myself, right? And so that's why this message is titled, Pass the Peace. Pass the Peace. Because as followers of Jesus, or as Christ followers, we can remember Jesus' famous sermon from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, where he tells us that blessed are the peacemakers, those who are called to spread peace. He says, for they will be called children of God. And so for us to be peacemakers, for us to really pass peace or be marked by peace, we have to know what exactly is peace that the Bible is talking about. Because many languages have words for peace that can mean simply the absence of conflict, like our English language and other languages similar to it. They, they have a word that means peace that simply means like the absence of war. But biblical peace is not simply the absence of conflict. It's actually the presence of something much greater. So both the Old and the New Testament have words for the word peace, and their definition simply is completeness or wholeness. So you can take notes or open your Northridge app, whatever the case would be, and write peace. It equals complete or whole. The Bible is very abundantly clear that it understands that life is complex and it's complicated. But the idea or presence of peace in our lives is this scene of many pieces working together in unity or in harmony, completing this scene of peace. So it's like this dinner at our table where we have all of these dishes spread out. And you got all your plate and you're fixing it together. And it's why that you could you struggled with that feeling deep down and why I struggle with that feeling deep down of grandma not being there because my plate's not going to be as full or as complete as it once was. Even if somebody else tries to make that mac and cheese, it ain't going to be the same. And you know that to be true, like, it didn't taste right. It doesn't taste like grandma's mac and cheese. Like, and your plate could be missing or complete. It's not wholly fixed. And the idea of biblical peace is all these different pieces working together in unity and harmony. So our big idea this morning, if you don't take anything else, take this with you. You can't pass peace until you first have peace. So with all these pieces working together, if we start with the smallest circle or the most intimate person in our lives, which is ourselves, that you're never going to be able to bring completeness or wholeness to any other avenue or atmosphere in your life until you first have it for yourself. That you can think about your life feeling missing or complete, and then your relationships feeling missing or complete, or the world around us, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school that you go to on a regular basis, there's something missing at it. Well, you're not going to be able to provide a solution until you first start with the closest person, yourself, that you can't pass peace until you have peace. So let's learn together a little bit about what the Bible calls to be peace. The first thing that we need to understand is, number one, Jesus is peace. Jesus is peace. The prophet Isaiah, it's going to feel a little bit like Christmas in July here because we're going to read a few verses that we only read at Christmas time. But the prophet Isaiah, when thinking about the coming Messiah, thought of him and prophesied these words in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, there's many names listed there, but the one I want to zero in on is Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be 
no end. So Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied that the coming Savior would be called Prince of Peace. That his name, that who he was, he would actually be wholeness or completeness. And not only would he be it, but he would also bring it. Number two, Jesus brought peace. You know, on that very first Christmas night when the shepherds were um, out in the fields tending to their flocks of sheep, there's an angel that showed up on the scene and he declared uh, this with a great company of heavenly hosts. It says that the angel said, praising God in the highest heaven, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to all men or peace to on whom his favor Rest, peace, that Jesus not only was his name peace or who he was peace, but he also brought peace. You know, Jesus lived uh, about 30 years on this earth before he started his ministry. And when he started, he performed many miracles or uh, signs to show who he truly was, that he was 100% God and 100% man. One of these specific moments was, is, can be found in the Gospels when Jesus and his 12 closest followers, friends, disciples, were on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and this storm popped up. And then they started freaking out. They thought they were going to drown. The boat was going to capsize and they were just going to die. Jesus is in the back of the boat taking a nap. And so they go and wake him up and they're like, hey, Jesus, do something because we know you got this. And so um, he calms the storm or he brings it back to a state of peace or wholeness, the way it was intended to be. And some translations say that he declared peace be still to creation. Other miracles that he did is he cast out sickness or he healed people from diseases or even those who were lame or paralyzed from, from birth who couldn't walk. And in many of those instances, when he would cast out that sickness or that evil spirit or heal them to be able to walk, he would send them on their way and say to them, go in peace. He would declare that he's bringing the situation to a level of completeness or wholeness, that he's restoring it into how it was intended to be. In fact, with uh, one of the last uh, dialogues between Jesus and his closest followers on a night before Jesus was crucified, he tells them these words, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14, 27. So I, it makes me ask the question from that passage of scripture. What's so special about Jesus' peace? Because I want to highlight in, I want to zero in on th these phrases that he says. My peace I leave with you or I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. So to think, think about the disciples receiving these words from Jesus, what kind of peace would come to their mind that would be equated with the world's peace? Well, if you're a history buff or you like history very much and you're going to that era of history, you know that that time frame is what's known as the largest stretch of history without a significant war recorded. Or um, the peace of Rome um, could be if you're jogging your mind from high school history or college history or even elementary school history, uh, which the, the historians call that the Pax Romana, uh, which is the peace of Rome, which was a stretch of history with about 80 to 100 or even more years without any significant world wars. And so that's a pretty big deal. So the world was at rest or peaceful, but the question remains, how did Rome achieve peace? 
How did they get peace? Well, in my layman's terms, if I can just draw this out for you, uh, Rome built up their army and then sent their soldiers on their way, going to neighboring cities and countries and nations. Um, and they, they come up on the scene, and what they, they basically ask the question to these people is like, do you want to bow the knee to Rome, or do you want to test us with, with the sword, see who can win out in this battle? And Rome wielded fear over these other people, and they bowed their knee so they would occupy that city. And if they said no or they refused, they would test the sword out on them. And many other uh, cities and countries, other cases would be, got the bloody sword of Rome. And Rome achieved peace by essentially occupying fear over other people. And if one village or uh, of city would say no to, the, to Rome and they faced Rome's sword, their big bloody sword. Other, that word would spread across out to all these other cities so that once the Roman army got to them, they would be like, okay, we don't want to face the sword like these other guys did, so we'll, we'll let you occupy us. We'll pay those taxes. We'll be oppressed by you because that's better than dying. That's better than facing that sword. And so when the disciples received this word that it's not the world's peace, it's not the peace of Rome, it's not fear that's holding us in place. It's something different. Don't you want that in your life? Because I would argue there's just a different breed of fear that occupies peace for us, that you don't dare raise an accusation or come against your boss because the last time somebody did that, he wasn't afraid just to put them on the chopping block. Or you know that family member that you don't ever call them out or question things they say because, hey, just keep the peace. Like, don't bring it up, don't, don't address it, like, don't say anything. Like, I can count probably, uh, I'd make a lot of money if I had a nickel for every time my mom said, hey, just keep the peace. Just don't say anything. Because fear is exercising in our lives in such a way that we're afraid to bring harmony or completeness. We can identify that there is something missing, but we're not going to address it because we're just going to keep the peace. That's not the peace that Jesus brings. He brings about a different peace. And many followers of the one true God from the Bible, when they were thinking about the coming Savior, they were like, he's going to come and bring a bigger sword, a bloodier sword, and he's going to defeat all of our enemies. He's going to defeat Rome. He's going to cast them out. He's going to put them to total destruction. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, he didn't come with a bigger sword. He didn't come with a bloodier stick. He came and laid all weapons aside and stepped in our place. And he was killed by the Romans, by Jewish leadership, and ultimately by us because of our sin. He stepped in our place. He fought our fight so that we could experience his peace. And on the scene, on the cross, what we have is Jesus from Nazareth, a carpenter, suspended, nailed to a tree, hung on a cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and being cursed by both of them, taking on all the weight of our sin, all the weight of our wrongdoings. And in that scene, that horrifyingly ugly, yet supremely beautiful scene, we see God's love reaching out to us, being put on display, because it was the only way that we could experience peace. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus, what he did is he justified us with God so that we could achieve peace. Well, the word justified means to be set right. The word peace, we already know, means wholeness or completeness. So if you're asking the question, okay, Daniel, how can I have a different kind of peace? How can I achieve this peace? Well, let me, let me set this right. You can't achieve this peace because Jesus achieved it for us. He fought our fight so that we could have his peace. We look to Jesus through faith, trusting in him as our Lord and Savior, following him with everything we are. And, and in that, to be justified through faith, And having peace with God means to be set right, holy with God. Because he has justified us through our faith in him, making us whole in our relationship with God. That's why Paul in another place in Ephesians 2, 14 says, For he himself, that's Jesus, is our peace. He is our wholeness. That if you're looking for your relationship, yourself to be made right, to be in right relationship with God, God, look no further than Jesus. And if you haven't looked to Jesus yet, then do it. Then what are, what's stopping you? Because our next point is this, number three. Jesus passes on peace to us. That he doesn't stop with himself. That he himself is peace. He is fully human. He's complete. He is whole. And he brought peace with him in all the encounters that he had on this earth. He brought peace. He was bringing things back together. And then he extends it to us, to your relationship with your creator. Let me remind you of our big idea that you can't pass peace until you first have peace. So my question is, do you have peace with your maker? Do you have peace with God? Because Paul says, he's very clear that he has achieved it, that Jesus has achieved peace for us. And if we want peace in our lives, we must look to him. Our last verse on this is a Colossians 1.20 where Paul says this, And through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That peace was achieved by Jesus on our behalf, and our job is to look to him. Because you're abundantly aware when you don't have this kind of peace in your life. You're abundantly aware. You can identify when peace isn't present in your life. Like one scenario that comes out to my mind that sticks out very abundantly is a couple of years ago when my wife and I, we first got married, we went to Gatlinburg on a, um, just a trip together with her mom and dad. And Gatlinburg, for those of you who don't know, is in Tennessee. It's Redneck Disneyland. Um, and I'm from Arkansas, so I can say that and you can laugh. It's totally fine. Uh, but it's Redneck Disneyland because Dollywood's there. So it's, you know, that's, that's where it's later. But anyways, when we go on vacation uh, all the time, my wife loves puzzles. I hate puzzles. So when we go on vacation, we do puzzles. Um, and so we got a puzzle on the way to uh, Gatlinburg to the cabin that we were renting for the week. And we got it. And each night after we would finish up for our, our day of, uh, of doing stuff for vacation and we would go out to dinner, we would come into the living room of the, the cabin that we were renting. And uh, we cleared out the coffee uh, table that was there in the living room. We were all sitting on the couch and we were fixing, uh, we were doing this puzzle. We spread out this 500 or 1,000 piece puzzle. I don't remember exactly what it was. And each night for a couple hours, we would work on this puzzle, putting all the pieces together, Rena and myself and her mom. And uh, we're, we're kind of working on this puzzle. And 
we were putting it together, and a couple days in to, to putting this together, uh, we, we had like 10 pieces left. So I'm like, all right, praise God, we're going to finish this thing. And so um, we get down, and, and we put all the pieces that we have on the table on the puzzle. We get them all, and then we realize there's one piece missing. And I'm like, come on. Like, let's go. Let's get this thing done. And so I'm like flipping over the couch cushions and I'm tearing the whole uh, apartment that we were renting apart. And I'm just like, find, I got to find this puzzle. And we didn't find it for that, that first night. And so we all go to bed. And, and let me tell you, the anxiety that was present in that cabin for the next few days was high. Because we would walk in the living room every day for multiple times a day. And we'd see that puzzle with one piece missing. And we're just like, something isn't right. Like, that we got to fix this. And this is the same that's true in your life, that you can identify that feeling when there's a lack of peace, that you are abundantly clear when in your relationships or in your own life or in our world when there's something that's not right. We just experienced a, a whole year for the most part that we're, we are abundantly aware that something is missing, something isn't right. And for all of those who are really curious about the puzzle, the, like two days in, I walk up and I bump the corner of the coffee table and the puzzle piece is literally, it's slidden underneath the back leg. So I found it, solved the puzzle, right? And so, and that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, that Jesus' life, for him to be our peace or be our completeness, the invitation that he has for us isn't for you to wield it into being or wield your power to be a peacemaker, his invitation is he's going to actually come live inside of you and live through you so that you'll be able to, number four, we must pass the peace. That you're actually empowered by God and his spirit to pass the peace. That it's not an option. Notice the wording that's there. We must pass the peace. It's not a, an option like, hey, this, I want you to consider, if you're a follower of Jesus, to pass the peace. No, I want you to see we must pass the peace because biblical peacemaking isn't a suggestion, but it's actually a command. That Hebrews 12, 14 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. That biblical peacemaking, other translations say, strive to, make, to live in peace with everyone. That it's not just an invitation, but it's a command for us to pass the peace. But in order for us to pass the peace, we must know that we first must have it. So I want to give you two questions to consider as we're beginning to just close this thing down this morning um, for your life individually, for your relationships, and then the world around you. The first question is this, what is missing? If biblical peace is bringing things to wholeness or completeness, restoring them to the way they should have been, What's missing in your life? What's missing? You've got to be able to identify it first before you'll ever be able to fix it. Like the puzzle piece that's missing, it's glaring. There it is. There's a missing piece. We've got to find it. We've got to find it. We've got to find it. What is missing? In your relationships, friendships, coworkers, family, what's missing? To be a biblical peacemaker means you ask that first question. You learn to be a good identifier. What is missing in this relationship? And then ask yourself the second question. How does God want to make it whole? How does God want to make this thing whole? And I, I use the word how does God and not how do you need to make it whole. 
Because remember, to be a follower of Jesus means his life is actually living and his power is coming through you. That you don't have the power to pass this real peace. Peace different from how the world offers it. But Paul says that he is our peace. He is our wholeness. That's why Paul in other places is able to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. So what's missing? In the world around you, what's missing? And there's a lot. Trust me, I'm, I'm aware. I can, I can see it. I can look out. I know there's a lot missing. But identify it. Start one step at a time. Be a peacemaker. Be called children of God. Be a peacemaker. Identify what is missing. And then number two, how's God want to make it whole? I experienced these two questions in a real way a few years ago in my life. In 2018, I was on staff at a church in Arkansas, and uh, I had led uh, another, yet another trip um, where we had flown into to Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and there was about 16 of us total on this trip. So we got two church vans, eight passenger vans to come and pick us up. But uh, little did I know um, when we got to the airport that several family members of other people on this trip had come to greet their family at the airport. And so riding back in the vans was only about seven of us. Uh, and so we only needed really one van. Uh, and all the other people piled into the one van. And there was one driver left all by himself. His name was Aaron, uh, who's about a 50-year-old gentleman who had uh, never been married um, and just loved the Lord, loved the local church, loved to serve, just like many of you. And so I was like, okay, I'll ride with Mr. Aaron. I'd had literally like two conversations with the guy in oh, the past year and a half. And so I, I, I jumped in the van with Mr. Aaron and we were driving back and uh, it was about an hour drive to where we were going and we were chatting it up and I was getting to know some things about Aaron and he was getting to know some things about me. Like I said, we had minimal conversations and we're about 20 minutes into this trip and he turns and looks at me as he's driving the van and he says, Daniel, I need to tell you something. And his, his whole body language and the tone of his voice shifted. And I was like, oh, no, what's about to happen? And he said, I've been mad at you for over a year. And I was like, what? Are you sure you have the right guy? <laughs> like, Because I'm like, I feel like we've had like two conversations and, and, and I, I didn't say any of that. I was just listening. And apparently there was about a year ago uh, to the day, it was about 10 months or so, um, we were working at an event, doing some things together. And I had said something to Aaron that... Uh, came off as short, snippy, or arrogant, prideful, and it really just hurt, hurt him. And he harbored that, and he said, I've been, I've been walking around with this for a long time, for about a year. And, and every time I would see you at church, I would just be filled with this anger. I'd be mad. I'm just being like, that guy's prideful. He's arrogant. He's all these things. Every time you stepped on stage to do announcements or to preach, I would just think, like, this guy... He doesn't deserve to be up there. He's, he's so prideful. He's so arrogant. And he said, God really convicted me that maybe I was the one who received what you said wrong and you actually meant nothing by it. And I, and I began just to, to apologize to my Aaron. I had no idea this. I had no clue that what I said, that you received it that way. I'm sorry. I don't even remember that incident. And he goes, I know. I figured you would say that. But I just want you to know that um, I, I've given it to God. I've put it in God's hands and I've forgiven you and I want to ask for your forgiveness for being mad at you for so long. And that's what peacemaking looks like because I had no clue and Aaron had been walking around for over a year mad at me. And I believe so many of us, that's our exact story. We walk around 
mad or angry or hurt. And the people that were storing it up against have no clue. And biblical peacemaking means to receive that peace, receive that wholeness, and lay everything at the feet of Jesus and allow Him in His own timing to deal with it. But if we're going to be peacemakers, what does it look like in our own lives? Well, I go back to the table. Peacemaking, the way the Bible paints the picture, is an invitation for us to sit down at a table, grab the peace, apply some to our plate, not save it all, not harbor all the mac and cheese under the table like we want to do, right? I'll keep all Jesus for me. No, it, we, we, we take the peace and then we look up away from our own world. We, we look out to our relationships and, and the world around us and start scanning and saying, what's missing? Who needs some of this? Who needs some? Because all I want to do is pass the peace. Because what I've got on my plate, what I've experienced in my life is way too good to keep with me. Will you pass the peace? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your son Jesus doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. That he is our peace. That what he did on the cross for us, he stepped in our place and offers us his peace, his wholeness. That we can have a whole relationship with you and then it doesn't have to stop with us. That we can be agents of peacemaking in the world around us. Father God, we pray to be peacemakers like that, to make more and better disciples of you. And would you start a work within each one of us and allow your life to live through us. God, help us be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.